You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Listen with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking to our learning sub and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com. And of course, I will answer as many as I can. And I hope you're enjoying the warm, toasty weather out there. It is warm, it is hot. I'm even watering my grass so it doesn't dry out. But inside the wonderful studios of NRM Streamcast, we are actually nice and air-conditioned and very comfortable and lots of things happening and new ideas and new plans, which we will talk about. But before we start, you know, I have a very precocious child, I like that word, who loves to ask rabbis his questions, especially big rabbis. He's not embarrassed and he's not shy, and he stands there like a soldier, even if they uh, beat him up when he asks his questions. Um, that was not said literally. Um, and in any case, um, his question, I think, is a good lesson for us this week, but we're going to hold off on the question. We need a lot of background information before we can get to that question. But before I get to that question, I would like to tell you something new that we hear on the Let's Talk Torah show are now beginning, and that's as follows. I, you know, I have a lot of dedicated listeners, and I know you love the show, and we really need your help. We want to get the show out there. We want more people listening. We want more people involved. And the only way we can do that is actually with your help. So if you could help me, it would really be fantastic. What I need you to do is I need you to go to my homepage. On NRM Streamcast, um, the Let's Talk Torah has a homepage, and on that homepage... There is a donate button. And if you could hit that donate button and donate to the show, um, whatever works for you, whatever level you're comfortable with, so we can spread the message, we can get more and more people learning about Torah, hearing about Torah, hearing about what the Torah wants, what kind of life we want to lead. Um, if you could donate, leave your name. And of course, on a future show, I will, with pleasure, if you wish, you can always leave it anonymous, um, but on a future show, if you would wish, I will give you a shout out if there's a special message. There's always room, depending on the level of donation, to get out those messages, and that would be just fantastic, and I thank you in advance. Okay. Let's talk Korach. Korach is a fascinating individual in the Torah. Um, he actually has a Torah portion named after him. And considering he was not such a good fellow, I mean, at one point he was, um, but in the end he's going to be destroyed. Um, so his personality is a lot, a lot to learn from his amazing desire, drive, and personality. But let's let's back up. Let's get through the whole story, who he is. Let's paint a picture, and and then we can talk. So, if you want to create a rebellion, Korach is a good person to learn from. 
But we need to know who he is. He is a genius. He is brilliant. If you would see him and Moses arguing about Torah thoughts, you wouldn't even know who wins the argument. Not because he was a good debater. Sometimes we think of debaters, and, and I just know how to interject my position, and I ask questions that confuse you, and you're just not fast at the give and take. I'm not talking about that. These conversations, you could sit back, everybody gets to talk, everyone gets to express their feeling, but you got to prove your point. And Korach, in this way, was brilliant in arguing with Moses. He could prove his point to Moses, who got the Torah from God. And Korach can go ahead and argue with him and say, Moses, you misunderstood what God wanted. I'll tell you what God wanted. And as the rabbis have said, if you would have been there watching the argument, you wouldn't be so sure who's winning the argument. Very, very hard to tell. Very hard to tell. Um, they talk about, for example, um, on the tzitzis, on the strings that we that we wear. You know, many men will have them hang off the side of their pants. It's really a separate garment with um, with four strings doubled over and knotted and twisted, and it's called tzitzis. So, in those days, one of the strings was blue. The blue color in the Torah is called tcheles. Well, blue color. And Rashi and others explain what's special about this blue, because the blue reminds you of the sea or the ocean, the ocean reminds you of the sky, the sky reminds you of heaven, and heaven reminds you of God, of his, of his throne, of his glory, of God. So wearing that special color um, is very powerful. So Korach says to Moses, he says, why only one string? If I wore a garment that was fully blue, like my tie, maybe. Um, if I wore a garment that was fully blue, so would I still need the tzitzis? Or I have the, the I have the, the, the um, like, you know, you tie a string around your finger, right, to remind you. I have the reminder about God in the entire garment. So maybe I don't need that one string. That was one type of question that Korach asked Moses. Another famous question he asks him is... Uh, we know from stories we've told in the past, we don't have time for the story today, but the mezuzah, that scroll with the Shema in it that we put on the doorpost, protects our home, protects us going in, protects us going out. We've talked about it in the past. Sagara says, let's say I fill up a room full of, of Torah scrolls. Do I still need that mezuzah? Because if two paragraphs in the Torah protect me, Imagine the whole Torah. That for sure will protect me. So that was the kind of argument that Korah would throw Moses' way. Now, the real answer is that it's very nice that, that you know, philosophically your question makes sense. But first things first, God gave us a Torah. He gave us rules and regulations. And in those rules and regulations, he told us what works. And we, we can't go ahead and say, well... It's like being a doctor. I was learning with a friend uh, the uh, path of the just. And in there, he explains that if God tells you how something works, like a doctor, you go to a doctor and you're not feeling well, and the doctor gives you a certain medicine. And you argue with a doctor. You tell a doctor, I know way more than you. I am way smarter than you. That medicine, wrong medicine. Or you only want me to take one teaspoon a day, I'm going to take 20. 
because I know. And the doctor said, no, you, you can't take 20. That's dangerous. Right? You can't argue with a doctor. You're a fool, right? Because you're not a doctor, right? So if you are not a doctor, right, you can't exactly argue with a doctor. I don't mean to say you should never question what a doctor tells you, that there aren't other possibilities that you would like the doctor to think about. But at the end of the day, you can't argue, doctor, you say, take medicine. I'm not listening to you. Because if you trust him as a doctor, if you don't trust him as a doctor, then okay, you don't belong in that room at all. You're wasting your time. So God is the doctor. God tells us what's good for us and what works. You can't argue and say, God, I know better than you what works. That's ridiculous. Okay. So Korach is creating his rebellion. Now, Korach says, everyone is holy. Now, that statement alone is true. Everyone is holy. Right? The Jewish people, as a whole, as a nation, we are a holy nation. That's very acceptable. Very acceptable to say we're, we're all a holy nation. But what Korach was at least officially trying to accomplish was Korach says, what do we need Moses, your brother, as the high priest, as the Kohen Gadol. We don't need him as a high priest. Each one of us is a high priest. Each one of us can serve God. Okay, so now you're playing with the structure of how God's setting up the Jewish people. And to a certain extent, all the people fighting all felt that they should be the high priest and not Aaron. But okay, that's, that's getting us a little bit too far ahead. So Korach says, everybody is holy. Now, that point of everybody is holy, let's keep in mind. It's a very, very important thought. Now, Korach is not coming just to fight with Moses that I, Korach, know better, right? And I want to take over. The fight was a fight in spirituality. The Korach says, I know how to lead a spiritual nation better than you do, Moses, and better than your brother Aaron. Now, we need to know who Korach was. Korach was so spiritual, he was one of the four people that when the, when the Jewish people traveled in the desert, he was one of the four guys that carried the Ark, the Aron, the Ark of the Covenant. He carried it. That was a very dangerous job because if you didn't have a perfect concentration thinking about God and holy stuff, when you were carrying the Ark, you died. It was, not, it was not one of these things that your regular average person could, uh, could go ahead and, and carry. It was, it was too dangerous. So he was obviously, this Korach, a very holy spiritual person. He just was misguided. In what way was he misguided? He had a wife. And his wife uh, led him in the wrong direction. She got him jealous of Moses. She pointed out how Moses took advantage of him and made fun of him. And, and she got him um, cooking, as we say, or cooking in Yiddish. And, and he listened. And he began his rebellion. And Korah has some interesting partners in crime. Two of his partners in crime were Dasan and Aviram. Dus and Aviram are those same two that they leave the mana out, um, they leave it overnight. They're the ones that argue with Moses in Egypt. Um, why are you going to Pharaoh? It's only making things worse. Dus and Aviram are the nemesis of Moses, and they, of course, are only too happy to join up with Korach.
the third person in this group is Own Ben Pellis. Own Ben Pellis, we don't know too much about him, but he joins up with Korach, and he's part of the gang, the original, the original gang. And Own has an amazing wife. She saves his life. Own comes home. I love telling the story this way because I just get a kick out of it. Own comes home and he tells his wife, okay, me and the boys, we're going to start up with Moses. We're going to teach him a thing or two. He can't run things anymore the way he wants. We're going to be involved. We're going we're gonna to take over. So Own's wife says, my dear husband, at the end of the day, if Moses wins, he's in charge. If Korach wins, he's in charge. Why don't you just stand on the side? Better yet, why don't you stay home? Wait till the fight is over. When the dust clears, then you see who's the leader. But you have nothing to gain. You shouldn't be involved. And like all good husbands who realize deep down that their wife is, has got it, is speaking the truth, has got it right, um, Owen says, you know, I, what should I do? I, I, I told the boys I would be there. I, I gave my word. I said I would be there. So Owen's wife says... I'll protect you. I promise you I'll take care of the whole thing. And she says, didn't Korach say, um, everybody's holy? I'll be able to take care of you. Um, So the question before we take this a step further is, how did On's wife know from the fact that Korach said everybody's holy, how did she know that she would actually be able to help her husband. How'd she know? What, what was her secret? What did she know? So we're going to get there, but let's keep that question in mind. It's a very, very important question. How exactly did Own's wife know, because Korach said the nation is holy, that she would be able to protect her husband? So it says like this. So she goes ahead. She gives her husband a bunch of wine to drink. She puts him to sleep. She goes outside the tent, she uncovers her hair, and she starts to comb her hair. Now, by Orthodox Jewish women, um, it is very important that they keep their hair covered. So for an Orthodox Jewish woman to be sitting outside her house combing her hair, uh, really Orthodox men, she could be walking naked for the same price, right? So it's not an appropriate place for someone to be. Now, she is assuming that she's got, that's her plan, right? She's going to go outside the tent. She's going to uncover her hair. She's going to comb her hair in public or her little side street of a house. Now, when Korach and the boys come to pick up her husband, they will turn and go the other way. How'd she know? How did she know they wouldn't walk up? Look, they're starting up with Moses, right? Why does she believe that because um, they're starting up with Moses, but when she stands there with her hair uncovered, all of a sudden they'll go the other way? So um, so you need to know like this. Korach claimed that Moses was arrogant. He says, Moses, you're too haughty. You're too arrogant the way you lead the Jewish nation. You make your brother in charge. We are not so arrogant. Now, it happens to be, it happens to be that, that arrogance and immorality are connected. So if Korach is claiming that Moses is arrogant, what he's really saying is, Moses, we suspect there's some immorality issues with you. That's why you're arrogant. 
So now, if Korach is claiming that Moses is arrogant, which means that Moses has an immorality issue, which is a terrible claim to make against Moses, terrible, but that's the claim, well, then Korach is going to have to show that his level of morality is way higher than anybody else. So even if he wants to go get own, if his wife is sitting there with her hair uncovered, he can't walk down that block because he's busy claiming that he is a humble person and therefore his level of morality is off the chart. It's impossible. So again, so Own's wife tells Own, I'm going to go outside the tent. I'm going to uncover my hair. There is no way in the world that Korach can approach our tent because he claims everybody's holy. He claims he's the holiest. And if he's the holiest, to get there, he has to be humble. To be humble, he has to be super moral. So therefore, Owen's wife says there's no way. Or he's a hypocrite, and then everything will collapse. So, um, that's, that's, um, that is the story of how she knew that she would be able to protect her husband and that her husband basically could repent. That's the deal. Now, that really fits in very good with a question my son asked from an earlier Torah portion. These Torah portions follow one after another. And my son asks, very interesting question. Now again, it's a little bit off topic, but we're going to try to rope it in and bring it back. And that was the following, very fascinating question. Um, for slander, for slander, the punishment is leprosy. We know in last week's Torah portion that when, when the spies slandered the land of Israel, that they get a plague and they all die. And they lose their world to come and they lose their portion in Israel. So my son says that's not the, that's not the punishment for slander. For the punishment for slander is leprosy. Why didn't they get leprosy? So the Rashiva answered him fascinating. He says, the purpose of a punishment is to help me repent. Right? When a parent disciplines a child, when a teacher is disciplining in a classroom, the only purpose is I want you to be better. If I can't make you better with this discipline, then what's the point? The point of discipline is to make you into a better person. And that's why God punishes. When God punishes, he wants you to get the message. You get the message, you repent, you become a better person. But once somebody gets to the point where he can't repent, or she for that matter, then what's the point in the punishment? That person is done. Toast. That person is finished. That's why the, that's why the, the spies had to be destroyed. Because there was no point. They could no longer repent. They were way past that. Way past that. We're not looking for your repentance. And that, by the way, is the same thing that's happening to Korach and his gang. They are way past the point of getting punished and then repenting. It's not happening. They are way past that, which is what Owen's wife recognized. This is not that you make a little mistake and you'll get a punishment and you repent. You're, pa- you're way past it. You think you're holy, but you're really way past that in your rebellion against Moses. Rebellion against Moses, who got the Torah from God, who took us out of Egypt, 
who split the sea, who's been supplying or responsible that the mana falls, and we get the water supply, and the and the and the clouds are protecting us in the desert. If you could rebel against Moses, you could say you're as holy as you want. You are worthless. There, there's just no way. And that's why Moses never tries to change their mind. There's no point in trying to change their mind. So, um, with this talk that uh, we've been talking um, and pointing out about who Korach was and what his rebellion was trying to do and how Own saved uh, and how Own's wife saves Own and how Korach and his group have to be destroyed. That's, uh, the, the earth uh, swallows them and they go alive uh, down into, into Gehenna, into wherever their, their, their uh, fires are burning away. Um, it's interesting and it's, I have a great story. I should have enough time to get through this story. Let's figure it out. So very interesting. Um, you know, talk, about, talk about Russia nowadays, right? What's going on over there? And I actually just read this morning, you know, years and years and years of a, of a Jewish renaissance taking place in Russia and Ukraine is all, all that work right now with the war going on with Russia and Ukraine is uh, all that work is just getting demolished? Everything that, everything that was built and everything that was that was worked on, and the schools and the communities and the synagogues, all that stuff is just getting destroyed. But after the Six Day War, many many Russian Jews started to connect with their religion, and uh, it wasn't legal yet. But then they would go to basements. And they would get people talk to them about uh, about uh, Judaism and spirituality and Torah. And uh, this old man came every week without fail. And as soon as the speaker started talking, he fell asleep and he started snoring. So bad enough that the snoring disturbs, but he's sleeping. Like there's nothing. He's not getting anything from the speech. And over time, the room was getting more and more crowded, and uh, there was really no more room. And it got to the point where people said, look, there's, there's newcomers that want to get in. There's no room for them. This old guy, look, we, we know he believes in what we stand for. We know what we, that, that listening to these speeches, he understands how important it is, and a, and a revival of Jewish knowledge and learning Torah is so important, but he's not... He's not gaining from the whole business. Better, he shouldn't come. Let him sleep at home. And he'll, uh, he will, um, he'll give his spot to somebody else. So they went over to him and they said, Sir, you know, we, 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 we understand um, you know, that you would like to be here, but you're not even listening. You sleep as soon as you get here. Would you mind giving up your spot? Would you mind if somebody else could take your seat and benefit from the people coming to speak, from the rabbis coming to give us lessons? Because anyways, you're not learning. So this older Russian Jew told him the following story and a great lesson. He said in 37 and 38, during Stalin's purge, so one time he was sitting in a restaurant, just eating, just in a restaurant, eating, it wasn't involved with anybody else in the restaurant. 
And the secret police, right, the NKVD, burst in, and they arrested a group that was huddled together with their plans. And after those police, after they went ahead and uh, they arrested the group, they came back and they started beating me up. And hey, I was Stalin. I wasn't with that group. And they answered me. They said, you know why we're beating you? Because if you sit with them, you're part of them. In other words, the secret police felt that the fact that I'm in the same room, I'm with that group of, uh, of, uh, of uh, those that are starting rebellion, so I'm with them. I am part of them, and I'm guilty. Guilty by association, as we say. So that means that they said, you are who you hang with. I'm hanging out with you guys, because this is who I am. And here comes the music. The music is playing. I hope you enjoy it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, for our wonderful sponsor. Listen, I can't do it without you. Thank you for my wonderful production team. We got Alan by his lonesome in the back. I hope I've blessed with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.